Flipping Out Radio, the most American podcast ever created. It is Saturday, March 21st, 2020. In other words, after the virus. And we all have to kind of accept, I guess, what life is now after the virus. Things are so different. Things are so changed. Everybody is uh, living in a state of fear, if not outright panic. Certainly a level of concern had by pretty much everybody right now concerning everything that's going on with corona. And, uh, you know, even if it just comes down to something as simple as the meme that I saw the other day where there was a little chihuahua who had a little tickle in his throat and said, is that you, Rona? Because you just don't know. You just don't know. And honestly, there's a lot of awful (laughs) stuff. (laughs) There's a lot of awful stuff going on right now. But um, we're going to try to you know, talk about some of the ways people are responding to all the things that are happening right now, because obviously the the main focus uh, from the news organizations and everybody's kind of main perspective is how are the healthcare workers going to get through everything they have to get through in terms of fighting this, and obviously all the different people affected by the illness itself. So we'll talk about all that. Um, we got we got a lot to get into, and and a good focus, a good focused discussion with a close friend of mine, a good buddy who I haven't spoken to in a while, and and, um, our circumstances kind of cross paths professionally some years ago, a time that feels, for many different reasons, like a long time ago. And, of course, I'm talking about Joel Richardson, Soul Joel. He's been on the show before. But I am James Flippin. This is Flippin' Out Radio, the most American podcast ever created. And on RadioMisfits.com, we go forward here after the virus. And Soul Joel, Joel's with us. So, Joel, um, first of all, it's great to uh, you know catch up with you and talk. Now, I'll, I'll just give the quick background that we met because you were working with Mike Bichetti back when I was on the Artie Lang show. So you were sort of almost like a behind-the-scenes uh, personality handler. for that. Yeah, handler. Yeah. Handler's a good a good term. Um, you, you were very much kind of making sure Mike got from point A to point B. Um, you were driving him, in fact, uh, getting him food, all kinds of different stuff and working with him in close proximity while that show was going on. And it was on direct TV. It was on radio. And you had a very close up look to not only Mike's life, but also the show as well, because you were involved with that. So we became friends because, you know, we could chat about stuff back behind stage and we have a lot of different, um, things that we kind of see similarly and also uh myself just being a fan of funny (laughs) things um i love people who work in comedy and you know have made that their business so you know that being said why don't you tell us a little bit about your story here in regards to 
all that's gone on with you recently because you had been a manager. You had been uh, obviously doing your own stand up like a lot of people in the business do. Um, you have, uh, you know, all your different things that you do from an appearances perspective and also uh, a lot of other stuff going on in your life. But tell us about what's gone on recently in terms of you opening the comedy club and um, without getting too ahead of that, just talk about that. Talk about opening up your own business yeah. and, and what that was like and when that started and all that kind of thing. Well, I'm just glad that you started the podcast by letting us know what day of the week it was because Saturday used to have a huge feeling, obviously, being in the entertainment business. You know, it's the busiest day. Uh, it definitely has a feel to it. But now all these days are blending together when, you know, in we're infinitely quarantined yeah. for, for the foreseeable future. No, it's true. I mean, you absolutely I, – I, I thought to myself, and in some way it's it's just – crazy how it goes to show you the little aspects of your life that you kind of take for granted or, or don't think as much about or whatever the term may be um the week flew by for me and in many ways yeah. it didn't because um it's all very heavy stuff and working in the news industry as i do it's all i ever hear about all i ever think about is corona so um it's a lot and it gets to be where it kind of weighs on you after a while but at the same time you know it's so ever-changing it's so ever um, the same thing. At the sa I, I, Honestly, I, I can't even begin to explain the way that I kind of have looked at all this. It's like I'm living in a dream because I, I, I can't imagine things like this ever having really unfolded in real life until now that they have. And the fact that there's oh, so I, much I, happening you, at the same yeah. time, but then every single day is kind of like deja vu at the same time makes things kind of move in this weird sideways direction where time almost doesn't even exist it's like uh, I, the the days flew by because there really like were no days almost it's abstract to look at it that way but it was all so um much the same thing over and over again but changing in little ways that it was hard to distinguish one from the other and also more matter of factly i wasn't commuting into the city I was just working from home, uh, reporting stuff from my dining room table, connecting to the YouTube uh, uh, feeds of all these different press conferences, Governor Murphy, Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, whoever it may be. And uh, it kind of just all melds together. And, and you feel defenseless, man. I mean, when, when things are you know, you know, at their peak and you, you're, just, you're just working, you're grinding, daily grind that you and I are always used to, and, and you literally get shut down by the government, it really puts things in perspective on – on how fragile we really are and, and, and a blink of an eye can all change. It's really true. And I don't think anybody ever really saw this coming outside of the sci-fi world. And look, the crazy thing about this is, at least from what I can tell, and I'll, I'll put this disclaimer out there because that's the kind of world we live in. You got to make sure you disclaim stuff. Not a doctor, <laughs> never went to medical school. You know what I mean? Not an epidemiologist. Don't know my ass from my elbow when it comes to stuff that involves math and science. But, but. That the, being said. That being said, it seems as though what really got everybody caught by surprise here is the extent to which the virus, corona, is very contagious. More contagious than the flu. And we barely get through flu season with our hospital system as is because it's very held together by uh, wet paper towels. You know what I mean? Those rubber bands are ready to snap at any given moment. At least it seems that way because when you consider the fact that seasonal flus kind of come and go and some are worse than others, the extent to which they're expecting like an imminent collapse of the hospital system in this area 
indicates that it's more about how many people are sick at any one given time. That kind of caught them by surprise. Well, so, it, it, yeah, go it, ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say it, it's funny. Last weekend, because um, I, I, like, like you alluded to in the, in the beginning, I, I opened up my own uh, comedy club. And last weekend, we weren't forced, per se, to shut down, but the local government, like, suggested it. So, so we shut down in, in Pennsylvania, out, about 40 miles outside of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And most of the people they privately messaged me, and they were, like, not upset at me, but more so disappointed. But then this weekend, you know, everybody kind of expected it. So last weekend, people weren't taking it as seriously. Now they understand how serious it is. So everybody keeps commenting on social media. Oh, we need to laugh more than ever. Oh, we really need to laugh. We need to laugh. People don't realize that in the stand-up comedy world how much comedians rely on a live audience. And we could do all the, you know, the, the FaceTime and, and, and the um, you know Facebook Live, but without an audience, it's not going to be true stand-up. And, and last year, I produced my my first stand-up special, and uh, because the comic is straight white male. Um, we hadn't been able to sell it to any platform. So with everything going on, we decided why not just release it now? So we released it ourselves on Vimeo and it, it's on demand. And also you can buy it or, or rent it. Um, just because, you know, why not? This is the best time to release it now. People are, people are quarantined. They're at home. They need something. And, and why not? Uh, you know, that's the way they can support us. Yeah. So what Joel's talking about here is, you know, you obviously have, um, this this special that just came out and you are uh in, involved in uh so many different things from a comedy perspective the club yeah. is something that started how many months ago now so we started on uh, november 1st and when we opened up um it, it i've been in comedy producing stand-up comedy shows for over 12 years um but i never had my own brick and mortar um headquarters i always performed in, in the casinos or the back of restaurants and you know country clubs doing private events and every everything but uh doing over 200 shows a year for the past 10 years but uh but but this is the first time i opened up my own club and it's phase one it's overlooking the uh the schuylkill river um you know right outside philadelphia and a year from now we're going to be in a bigger club that holds 300 to 350 if everything goes according to plan um uh, but that was our first time that i had my own place and now i, I also manage um you know, uh, 10 different comedians that I, I booked their schedules and, uh, and are responsible for, for, uh, for their careers as well. So obviously things are doing well and this comes at a really difficult time to have the, the club, uh, be forced to close. And obviously all those different comedians that you're working with, they're not, uh, you know, traveling to gigs at least for the time being. So you said, let's go ahead and put this, um, special out there can you tell us you know more about that and what what yes. uh, what yeah. what's that what's that all about so if, if anybody's familiar with the with the cheesesteak game in philadelphia it was co-produced um by gino vento of gino's cheesesteaks uh pats and gino's are two of the uh, the biggest cheesesteak places in philadelphia um so he co-produced it with us he he saw what i was doing with the comics and really believed in uh in richie byrne Richie Byrne, ironically, is the warm-up comedian for the Dr. Oz show, and, and he was laid off a week ago because TV shows stopped having live studio audiences, mm -hmm. and then now, a, a week later, they, you know, they, they stopped filming altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have a cameo in the beginning. It's a ske uh, sketch intro with all the comics, um, and, and, J and Dr. Oz actually makes a cameo performance on it. 
Nice. And uh, yeah, and it goes right into it. We shot it in 4K with five different camera angles on on uh, the performer Richie Byrne and also um, you know the audience. And it's really, really uh, done well. And it, I mean, I can't say enough about it. And but because it, it, it's funny, we we just couldn't sell it. There's so much content out there, and we thought, why not just uh, just release it ourselves? And so we released it ourselves on Vimeo. Well, you know, it's interesting that you that you bring that up because that's something that I think for so many different people in so many different industries right now, and certainly for you know broadcasting, radio, talk radio, whatever it may be. Um, that type of thing is something that I think about all the time. And what I'm talking about is the difference between sort of like working for somebody else in the content production world versus working for yourself. And of course, you know, a lot of the time this doesn't really sound like or, or mean exactly what it sounds like. In other words, if you're some YouTube platformist, then you're still kind of sort of working for YouTube. Um, you know, Facebook, same thing. Uh, whatever it may be, you're using that platform to your own benefit, but you're in concert sort of like a independent contractor of this particular company or whatever it may be. But my point being, the differences now are, okay, fine. You're somebody like yourself who's going to work with people who have this content to, pr to put out. Is it better to try and find the, uh, you know, um, FXX, the Comedy Central the um you know vice media or whatever it may be or is it better to try and just kind of strike out on your own and basically full risk full reward right like you're not going into it with any protection but you're also not going to have any sort of cap on how well you can do with the whole thing either so can you talk about that i mean obviously i know you said in this particular instance the options were limited and and you also figured this is a great time because there's a lot of people that are inside looking for a laugh but um, what about that whole process and how that's kind of playing itself out in content markets overall? Yeah, well, I, I, I think I think it's better to to do it the way we did. Um, you, you know, creatively, we had control over what we wanted to do, and there's no restrictions, and and we were able to to edit it the way we wanted to, and and film it the way we wanted to. So, um, in, in this case, I I think it was better to do it the way we we wanted to do. I mean, did you have any worries at all? Like. I guess this is just kind of a general thing, but did you at all, were you able to do this differently, I guess, in terms of it being on Vimeo and you kind of releasing it the way you did versus what might have been on like a mainstream audience's cut of this? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, did, did you have any content decisions where you were like, oh, well, this might be considered risque or something that you wouldn't want to put on uh, a mainstream audience, but if we're going to do this ourselves, if we're going to put it out there, we don't have to edit, edit it that way. Or is it maybe longer yeah. than you would have put out? Something no, yeah, else? now I understand what you're saying. Well, um, so so the special itself was uh, was 57 minutes. So if we would have had to put it out on another platform um, to trim it down to an hour, we would have had to trim stuff out to make it 42 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Richie uh, does a lot of material about his um, his family, and in the in the end, he ends up doing a um, breaking down the fourth wall um, and a confession. And then that's all included in it. So it's an, actually 119 minutes. So it, it probably would have been, you know, over, over 90 minutes of TV time if it went on, on the air. So we had to trim that out as well. But uh, uh, he talks about how his, his dad passed away. So that's why we did the special. This special was kind of put to, it was his first special overall, but we did this in a sense so he could put all this material to rest. And it was a way of, of keeping his dad, who passed away three years ago, um, 
keeping his memory going in a sense. Mm. Yeah. So it was really cool. Well, that's 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 good stuff. I mean, so tell me a little bit about how people can find it again. Tell me his name and and where they search on Vimeo and and just in general how people look for this. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's Richie Byrne. It's B Y R N E, uh, and it, and it's right on Vimeo. Or or if you go to any of uh, my social media, um, it's S O U L J O E L Soul Joel. Um, it's it's on all all my Facebook accounts and uh and on our website, uh, Twitter Soul Joel's. You can find it anywhere, but it's uh. On, on Vimeo, just search Richie Byrne, and it's uh, it's called Burned Out, B Y R N E Doubt, D O U B T. Play on words. Cool. Yeah, Burned Out. Well, I I think uh, I I can totally even as somebody who's burned out, I think I can get it. Uh, <laughs> so so um we're we're talking to soul joel and uh, he just told you a little bit about what he's got going on with this particular special he's putting out there right now and and everything that he's working on um the comedy club unfortunately on hiatus for the time being because of corona but if you're in pennsylvania if you're in the tri-state area you should definitely check him out and check out what he's got going on with all the different guys that he and gals and, and all that that he works with so um look it's James flipping with you here on Flipping Out Radio. We are doing our podcast in the tenth year of having done one. First, it was Garden State Radio, then it became Flipping Out Radio. Eventually, when um, Ed Silla decided, and I kind of agreed with him, that that was sort of a overly regional title, and that it was you know way too focused in on um, you know one particular area, but for everything that's going on in the tri-state area right now and the way that people are totally living on lockdown. And look, the whole country, I think, is scared shitless about this corona. And I have made it clear I'm not a doctor, I'm not a specialist. (laughs) But I think that there is a lot of stuff right now that kind of is too much on the fear side, too much on the panic side, because there's still a lot of unknown. And you have to understand that different people have different perspectives and different people are doing things for different reasons. When politicians completely shut down a state and declare a state of emergency, either ahead of or during a storm, and I'm talking about like weather, for example, a lot of what they're doing is taking precautions against the worst possible case scenario. So right now around the world, what you're seeing in a place like Italy is kind of like worst-case scenario because you have a ton of really significant cases all at once. The hospital can't possibly deal with that, and it's in addition to the normal flu season. So it's kind of like a double whammy that couldn't really handle the one in the first place anyway. And in the United States, you know, we have arguably the world's best healthcare system. We have um, an amazing amount of resources and ability to make things happen. So, you know, people are working on things the best they can. But the other side of it is this whole thought that I think has been allowed to creep into people's minds. And you could speak to this, Joel, and give me your thoughts on it, because I'd love to hear it from somebody who's kind of not in the news every single day like I have to be. Um, there's this thought that, like, the boogeyman is creeping around the corner is going to come around and be like, Corona! You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, you're, you're infected. And it's, it's not like that. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a coronavirus, which other common colds, 
Um, some more significant or severe than others in their symptoms have been. Uh, obviously, we know about the past with SARS, which was a coronavirus. But, I mean, this is not like it's not an alien species that came down onto planet Earth. You know what I mean? Like this is something that, well, maybe it was millions and millions of years ago. What do we know? But um, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> um, you know, my point is it's a virus. Um, we've dealt with these before. You know, 80% of the people are not going to be so banged up by this that they have to go to the hospital. So, you know, people have to kind of take it um, seriously but also not freak out so much. So I'm curious as to what you think the general perspective is amongst most people. Uh, I mean, listen, I, like I said, last week people weren't taking it as seriously. I, I think people are taking it seriously now. But still, if you look at the numbers, I mean, there's 330 million people in America the amount of people that have been infected on, on a, to keep it in perspective, it's, it's very, very small. Um, I, I know it's highly contagious and those numbers can, can double and triple and escalate very quickly. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know if people needed to freak out this bad, but we are under quarantine. Hopefully, um, you, you know, the, the, the bell curve kind of flattens out and, and we'll be okay in a couple of weeks. But I, I do feel as though like uh, we have, we have gigs canceling in July right now. Right. It's like, really, I don't think that was necessary. I think that is an overreaction. Well, that's the thing. I, I think that at some point, right, and far be it for me to make this call, and this is what I've said to a lot of people when I've talked about this, and it's, it's a very frank and honest way of putting it. Glad it isn't me. Glad I'm not <laughs> the one making the call because yeah. they're tough decisions. And ultimately what you're talking about is potentially weighing the losses of and – it's nothing um, that doesn't kind of happen all the time with different influenza situations, but you're weighing the losses of thousands of lives. And at the same time, what comes from the the shutdown, so to speak, especially if it lasts longer than several weeks, let's say, um, kind of what you're alluding to, is yeah. something I don't think anybody really can quite define. Because we've never dealt with anything like that before, and it would go deeper than just all the Main Street businesses that would go under. And, of course, there would be plenty that would. But yeah. it would go deeper than that. It would be the psyche. It would be the mindset. I mean, you know the way it is where um, you know, people react to uh, whatever. Somebody who is sick in an office setting and everybody kind of just gets that feeling on the back of their neck like you know, an instinctual thing where... I'm not doing what I need to to keep myself safe. I need to get away from that person. They're infected, and I'm disgusted. There's something hiding with it. Now, look, some people have that germaphobe kind of feeling more than others, right? But what's happening right now is that sort of like instinctual natural selection process of I need to not get sick is being sent into such overdrive. I'm worried that there's going to be people who are like afraid to come out of their houses, in you know a, a month or two, three, if this continues like this. Well, it's it's it's, it's funny because uh, one of the um, my, my sister actually, and my, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a parent, but I'm a proud uncle. Um, my sister posted something from a superintendent of one of the neighboring uh, towns' um, school systems, and he said, you know, it was a very profound statement. He said, Do, "Have have we overreacted? Um, you know, we might never know that, but we will know if we didn't do enough." Yeah. So that's the fair side of it. That's the fair side of it. I mean, look, that's the side where it ultimately becomes a fascinating moral 
question. And when we look back on this as a human race 100 years from now, it may well be a fascinating discussion, a, a philosophical discussion. Because if you think about it, this is the way it might come down. You ultimately won't ever really know, to your point, whether or not they did overreact. And the reason for that is, and, and I say this as someone who doesn't know what to think, but I say this as someone who is observing it from this perspective. If we get through this and it's not as bad as people expected, then they can say, look, everything we did is what got us to that point. If we um, you know, go through this and it, it is really bad, then obviously people could say, well, they didn't do enough, and they can say we tried everything that we could, include, including basically shutting down society. So, I mean, it, it's not to, to take away from the philosophical discussion because the, the philosophical discussion ultimately becomes how many thousands, if not millions, but probably more so you'd have to say thousands in the sense of, because if it is going to get into the millions, right, then you could probably understand more so um, almost everything that was being done and maybe even in hindsight start to say why weren't things being done sooner but look that's there is like some epidemiologists who have a doomsday scenario where it gets up to those numbers there's others that say it's going to be more in the uh, tens of thousands maybe hundreds and you know that would be more in line with uh, the h1n1 which was in 2009 or 2008 so you know, th there's so many different variables, but ultimately what it also brings in with the whole philosophical thing is, and that's the point I'm trying to get at, you weigh the loss of life, which is an awful thing to try to consider, versus the other loss of life, which is the thousands, if not probably millions, of healthy people who are potentially going to have their livelihoods absolutely devastated. And it's not just the entertainment industry like you work in, Joel. It's it's the ones that are also part and parcel to that. It's bars, it's restaurants, it's hotels, airlines, um, you know, uh, dry cleaners, laundromats, whatever it may be. Different places that rely on the day-to-day -day cash flow that is part of a society that kind of works in concert like that. So, yeah, uh, the, the, the 401ks, the, the retirement accounts, you know, the stock market, that may be bounce back. But I start to wonder, if we take this out further, does it slide not just beyond the one heavily on, too heavily on one side, not enough consideration of the other, or does it go way beyond that? Because I think that this could have, like, almost unbelievably lasting effects if we don't watch ourselves here and say, you know what, at some point we gave ourselves enough of a buffer here and we got to get back to work. We got to get back well, to life. Here, here's something you're never going to hear someone say. Uh, my dad actually lives in China. Wow. Um, I didn't realize so, that. Yeah. So he buys and sells. He's been buying and selling electronics his whole life. And now he's been brokering bigger deals and buying them straight from the factory. Well, He's been doing this for like the last five years. Mm -hmm. um, he'll he'll stay there for eight months, come over here for a month or two. Um, he, he basically spends um, seven, eight months over there and then three to four months over here. Um, but he shut down because of Chinese New Year, which is the last week in January. And then the, the outbreak there got really serious. And, and they, up until last week, had not even opened the factories mm -hmm. in China. So they had been shut down for about 
what, five, six weeks. And he said that was going to ha- have a trickle down on our economy mm-hmm. because you, know, you look at the price, you know, the name tag and everything says made in China, made right. in China. Well, right. all the factories have been shut down now for six weeks. But I mean, I, I you know, we haven't been buying a lot of product that made in China. So I think sure. that that'll kind of even itself out. But well, it's, probably uh, it's so. I mean, it is interesting. You're right. It's like on pulling on the one side, uh, fattening up on the other. The 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 push and pull is is probably kind of similar. But um, yeah, I I don't know, man. It's it's crazy. I mean, I and, and like I said, I'm just glad that I'm not the one making the decisions. And furthermore, if you. It, you detectives out there may have been able to tell Joel and I are not in the same studio. Matter of fact, we are not just social distancing, we're digital distancing and we're utilizing <laughs> uh, FaceTime here to uh, so uh, utilizing products from China. I've got my uh, my well, actually, you know, usually the Apple stuff says California, but I think most of it is made in China. Right. I mean, come on. Like we're talking about electronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Maybe maybe the parts are slapped together and somebody puts a screw on in Palo Alto, but I mean I don't think it goes much further than that. By um, way of Hong Kong. Yeah, right, exactly. So yeah, I mean look, th- this whole situation has been really crazy. Um let's let's take a little trip down memory lane and and talk about times yeah. before the virus. Um back when we both were kind of working on that same, you know, T V slash radio show, uh, where you you know, were the handler, for lack of a better term, for, yeah. for Mike Buschetti. Um, what is Mike Buschetti up to these days? He's working with Artie on his new podcast, isn't he? Yeah, he's doing he's doing his podcast and he's traveling on the road and opening for him. Um, you know, I, I, Buschetti had a heart attack. Um, and uh, yeah, what was that like a year ago now? A year ago, he's lost a lot of weight. I mean, as as uh, Artie, I think um, you know that's 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 when he got sober as well. Yeah. Um, Artie, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing great. And, uh, yeah, I could, couldn't have, couldn't be happier for both of them, man. They seem to be back in the groove. Yeah. I got to get in touch with both of them, man. I mean, it sucks the way, uh, you know, you're very good about, and this is probably why you're good at your business and why you're, um, you know, a successful networker and all that kind of stuff. You're good about staying in touch with people, which is great because it matters a lot. And it especially matters at a time like this, you know what I mean? Like people should definitely give a thought about, not even on some corniness thing, but just the fact that everybody's so isolated right now is not healthy for human beings. We don't live like that. You know what I mean? We're not like uh, uh, wolves, but, you know, we don't we don't tend to, to live totally in isolation either. And, um, you know, you got to stay in touch with people. So it's good that you're you're good about that. I haven't really yeah. been in touch with Artie at all. And Mike, very rarely, maybe a Facebook message here and there or something like that. But. I would love to go see them and check out their show. I, I really haven't had a chance. I mean, it's hard for me too. You know, I work during the day uh, and, and at weird hours that don't ever let me get out. Like even if they did something later in the day, I'd still probably be working and I doubt they'd ever be doing something early. So, so early that I could go. So it's, it, it's tough, but you know, I would love to see them and uh, catch up with them. But you, but you, but the thing that Mike and Artie both have in common is they've, they both changed their numbers more time than I can count. More times than I can count. <laughs> well, I mean, Mike used to always accidentally tweet it out, didn't he? <laughs> Probably. Or maybe Probably. like. Uh, oh god! Oh god! Oh god! Oh god! Oh god! What oh, did god. I do? Oh god! It's so great. Yeah. So yeah, dude, I mean, actually, my my picture, my picture, uh, your picture in my phone is you going wait. 
Yes. Like with the two fingers. The two fingers out, the one further back than the other, you know, like hold <laughs> yes. on a second, like just a whole kind of a hold on a second, you know, type type uh, pose that Mike is kind of famous for. So, yeah, well, look, it's I'm glad. Now, look, something uh, Artie is not doing so well health-wise. He, he actually kind of put it out there, and then I read an article from somebody who was saying, look, hopefully this isn't any kind of a thing where he's dealing with the whole same situation again, but that he's actually dealing with a medical thing, which, of course, is, look, Artie is so fragile from a medical perspective just because of that, all the stuff that he's put his body through. So yeah. um, you worry about anything, really. But, you know, I guess he's not feeling well, which you hate to hear. And um, I don't really know anything about it other than that, um, except to say that I guess he's not he's not doing so well. But who knows what that could mean? Hopefully, Co- hopefully it's not complications Rona. from a number of different issues. Hopefully it's not Rona. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is that you, Rona? <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. So anyway, we're digital distancing. It's uh, flipping out radio. He's soul Joel. And uh, again, he's got this this special out now through one of his comedians that you should check out. Uh, go ahead and tell us about it again, uh, Joel. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's, it's Richie Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. Um, it, it's available on Vimeo to buy for nine ninety nine or, or to rent for three ninety nine, uh, And it's up on our website, uh, souljoel.com, or go on our, our Facebook page on uh, Soul Joel's, S-O-U-L-J-O-E-L-S, and, it, and it's, uh, it's up there. Uh, you can click right on there on our Facebook account. So obviously you can't really work during this time, but I imagine you're trying to do whatever you can, whether it's, uh, I don't know what you do. I mean, do you like to write? Do you like to, are you podcasting more? Are you, are you trying to, you know, promote different things, including obviously the special, like what are you doing to pass the time where you can't actually be in clubs or in your own club? Yeah. So what what I'm trying to do is, uh, you know, try to keep a handle on everything that's happening, but, uh, being proactive and, uh, making video content, Tent. Um, we're going to uh, we're, we're selling our, our new swag for, for the ironically this wasn't even planned but we ordered new t-shirts that just came in this week so um, we're trying to sell them and then also promote the special um, so but what we're really trying to do is and I, I can actually share this with your listeners I, I haven't told anybody yet but we're gonna um, be doing our own patreon show uh, it's gonna be called soul surviving uh, one of my comics came up with it because of you know everything that we've been able to do um, I don't really ever reflect on it until someone else tells me to. Mm-hmm. But um, you, you know, not only have I have I created uh, my own living when I left corporate America in May, it'll be eleven years. Mm-hmm. But now, through all my shows, I've been able to help c- comedians and, and other performers put food on their table for them and their families and provide for them. And it's through for economic upturn and downturn. Now this. Um, we've always had to survive something. So, you know, Soul Joel, it's soul surviving. So it, all the comedy shows you always watch always has a, a, a comedy, um, a comedian perspective, whether it's Crashing or um, Marvelous Miss Maisel and um, Dying Up Here. But it's never from the manager and the booking agent and the producer standpoint. So it's going to be based around me. Mm. That's great. That's really great. I love that. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's 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 absolutely true, man. There's so much to be said for anybody, really, who has that entrepreneur streak. And I respect the hell out of anybody who does it with whatever the application may be. But you know what? Especially when it comes to showbiz, because it's just really tough. And it's kind of like having a restaurant or um, being an artist in a different sense, like being a, a painter or something like that. You're really out there on your own and you got to make a lot of tough calls all the time 
and it's about kind of, you know, utilizing your time wisely and continuing to stay hungry, which I know you don't have a problem with and I don't mean food. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, look, there's there's a lot of different aspects of your life where that's kind of shown out too, right? Like you're a big time uh, distance runner, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say that that's the, the biggest way I've been uh, passing my time is yesterday I just ran 10 miles. So it's, uh, yeah, I always joke around that I'm a far running fat man, but um so what I, actually, have you done i'm assuming that you've done half marathons then have you done full yeah yeah no i've done uh, i've done four full marathons and i've actually done two triathlons too where, where you run um you swim bike and then you run it's insane um, now how did yeah, you get yeah, into but, all that were you like a big time athlete when you were younger did you do like were you like a soccer player like did you run track yep. what what all about yeah all that? so I, I played soccer from the time i was little to uh to high school um and we were we were since you brought it up, we'll talk about it. We were um, we were group two state champs in New Jersey my senior year, and then I, I wrestled in college, so I wrestled on scholarship. Mm. Um, but but um, that was at Wagner, at, right? At Wagner, yep, on Staten Island, mm-hmm. so uh, Division One actually. Mm. Um, but I, I just thought now that we have the time, I, I ever since uh, you know I opened up my club, I, I, I quit drinking. And I, I started eating better and working out five, six days a week. So I've dropped 30 pounds Damn. since November 1st. Holy yeah, shit. yeah. But, it, but even now, it's like, yeah, it, it's, it'd be easy just to sit around and do nothing. But I thought, now that I have the time, I have, you know, limited things I can do. So yesterday, I just took two hours and I didn't, I didn't go for, for uh, time. I just went for um, distance and I just ran 10 miles in two hours and, um, just kept that body in motion. Yeah. Flipping. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what's up, man. I mean, look, I respect the hell out of it because I've actually been, uh, working out some probably, I guess, since almost it's been a full year now. Cause I went down to what happened for me was I went down to see a buddy of mine in Georgia and, uh, looking at the pictures after the fact, I said, eh, not liking the way those pictures look. And I went to the doctor and I checked in at two Oh five. And I'm only, you know, five ten uh, in my dreams, probably more like five eight and a half or something like that. And, um, you know, it, it just was not a good situation. I said, I got to turn this around. So I've been doing the I was biking a lot last summer. I've been running on the treadmill in the mornings. Um, nothing like 10 miles. I'll tell you that much. But, um, you know, doing what I can every more or every other morning more so. But the problem is, since the quarantine started, I've been totally thrown off with that. And I, I got to get back to it. I plan to this coming week. I may even go for a run tomorrow. Again, all I do is just pop in my basement. But, um, but it's, it's been problem, tough for well, me kind of continuing that, the routine here. Yeah, well, you and I, um, w- with our jobs by nature, we sit. We sit, we yes. sit. There's no, there's no burning calories in that. So when no. you are idle, I'm lucky in the I, sense that sometimes I go out to stories and I'll have to walk there, or I'll be, you know, in and around city hall, kind of like on my feet, rock, walking around, talking to people. I'll at least get some exercise in doing that. But you're right. For the most part, it's very, very stagnant. It's very um, stationary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, when I was waiting tables, you know, you're you're, you're running around. Um, going to the kitchen, going to the tables, running in the kitchen, go to the tables. So you you get more paces in, but in, in our industry, buddy, you know, even stand up comedy, you're you're just standing on the stage. You're not you're not doing anything physical. Yeah. So how often would you say somebody says to you, like, just maybe who some someone who doesn't know you that well, or maybe somebody who does, do they ever say to you, like, you know, tell me a joke, or do they ever ask you for a joke? Like, do they ever say, hey, you know what, you got a good joke for me? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's why I, I mean, even though I, I am a comedian by nature, I want people to know that I'm a manager and I'm a producer because I'm the one that can put together that fundraiser or put together that show for you. Um, but the thing is that they, they still know I perform. So after a show, that's the biggest thing that people want to do. But I never, I, I embrace it because it's who I am, right? And they want to come up to me because it puts them in a happy place. Yeah, they're they're recalling that joke that really makes them funny. Even yeah, though I mean, comedians got- enjoy that kind of stuff, right? I mean, look, you have to almost get a, a special, and that's probably where maybe so much of that darkness is what makes a good comedian because it's almost like it's imperative on them to find something good, which obviously any sort of like, you know, laughter, giggling mirth. I mean, that's like a good thing, right? Like that's something that humans respond to positively. So um, it's, it's, in other words, you kind of get something out of the entertaining side of it and the reaction that you guys all get. Right. Oh, absolutely. But the, the, the thing that the, the only part that I never like is, when, when they just get done reciting a joke that just got emailed to them or told to them at the water cooler that morning at work, and they go, you could use that. You can use that. It's like, no, I can't. I can't use that. Yeah. It's called plagiarism. It's yeah. just like when you were in fifth grade and you, yeah. you, you wrote that essay. You, right. You, you can't just plagiarize. No, that's true. And I think a lot of people do um, respect that aspect of it. The closer they are to comedy and probably the more – um appreciative are of it they are because i know that within the industry a huge issue is anybody who does that on the professional level and of course why wouldn't it be it would be in research it would be in finance it would be in anything you can't just say i did this when in fact it wasn't something that you did but um it's especially egregious in the comedy world um have you ever dealt with like have you ever had to um how should i put this like have you ever had to cut ties with a with a comedian because it was somebody who was doing bad faith things like, you know, bad practices as a comedian and, and not either maybe kind of like not being true to their gigs, getting so drunk or fucked up that they couldn't take the stage or like, um, you know, maybe somebody who was plagiarizing something like that. Yeah. Well, we, you know, what's funny is, uh, I, I had a comic that I was working with for the first time and he got to his third or fourth joke. And I look, look over to the opener and I said, I just heard these jokes last night. And he just looked at me, he goes, I think you know who stole them from who. And it was it was one of my other buddies that I that I'd known for years. And and it just I guess he, he just felt as though he's not in the same room or on the same show as that person. He he could uh, he just use them. And meanwhile I, I thought he was writing new material all the time and it just turns out he was stealing stealing jokes. Wow. So it's actually not that uncommon. Um, no, 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 no. They, the comics police themselves, man. It's, it's, uh, I, I, maybe some of the old time comics, but, um, you know, they, they always say if you're on the road and you're in a tough situation, you can always do it. But, uh, but for the most part, um, you know, comics police themselves and they, they didn't, you know, they see that they always see something, say something, James, Mm. see something say something no it is it's a cool culture i have to say i mean it's it's not for everybody and you kind of have to have some of that dark sense of humor somewhere within you too to be able to get really close to it i mean unless you're only ever going to watch you know the people on the late night shows or and this is to take nothing away from jim gaffigan but if that's like you know kind of what you want all the time then so be it but um you know the 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 true mindset of a comic is kind of formulated on those 
uh, smoky, you know, tables alongside the stage where they all sit and gather and, and shoot the shit, right? I mean, one of the coolest things I ever saw from a comedy perspective, and I'm not the world's biggest comedy fan, don't have anything against it. I love comedy. It's just I'm not, like, a super fan like my cousin is, for example. When he and I went up to Montreal... Uh, you know, because Artie was taking part in the um, Just for Laughs comedy festival up there. Um, One of the biggest comedy festivals in the world, if not the biggest. Yeah, so he was doing his podcast from up there, and I was helping to produce and engineer that podcast. So I was asked to come up there and do that. And I love Montreal, and of course, who wouldn't want to do that? So um, we were up there. My cousin tagged along with me because we were going to continue on up to see his dad, who lives a couple hours north of, of Mont- uh, Toronto, my, my uncle. So we were going to drive up there after the show and everything, but we stuck around for um, already doing stand up at that show. That was like whatever they call it. You probably know Joel, like the, the like the, the late night a, show a down or and dirty something. or or like like something. It's something with the, the dirty comics. Yeah, dirty it? comics, late night or something. Like it starts at midnight or something like that. Like it's like a late show, and um, or maybe it starts at eleven. I don't know. But I was backstage with um Artie and my cousin John was with me and we were kind of you know taken in the whole scene but what was so cool about it was um the people that were back there were I guess Jimmy Carr that that British uh yep. comedian um no no known for the roast battles yeah Louis CK um yep. I think it was maybe Gilbert Gottfried oh yeah um Artie and uh, somebody else, I'll have to text my cousin and ask him, but um, it was so cool to see them kind of like shooting the shit and they were throwing different ideas by each other and like the one person would say, nah, that's stupid, that's not any good, or nah, that one works better with this or whatever. You know, um, it was interesting and my cousin was like a pig in shit because he fucking loves comedy. So he was like watching this whole thing, workshopping and just finding it amazing. And, you know, I really did on a, on a um, certain level too, but it, it wasn't like the most he appreciated it more because he's really in line with the mindset of a comedian. And I think that, uh, for me, I have always, you know, sort of been there to an extent, but I know that there's something to being a comedian where, um, you just have that different perspective and it's almost like a, a sense of respect that I have to give. It's that, um, ability to kind of hang back and wait for the right time to say something. You know what I mean? Like it, there's there's a wit involved in kind of knowing the right moment at which to say different things because we always say, oh, comedy's timing, comedy's timing. But it really is. You know, some person could say something sort of funny and then, you know, the like I always feel that, you know, for me, for example, um, some of the times that I get the most laughs out of people is like facial expressions because that's more yeah. like what's funny about me. I'm not necessarily like a punch guy person. You know what I mean? Like a punchline person, I should say. Like I, some people are, though. It's just a matter of like when you hang out with people at lunch counters or, you know, if it was in the cafeteria in middle school or whatever, they were the ones that had that quick one liner that just made you fall out of your seat. Well, you know, it's funny is uh, a, a couple weeks ago and, and actually after i tell the story i got a gilbert godfrey story for you that i've never told to anyone um so so two weeks ago at my club we were doing a fundraiser and the opener was an italian-american comic from long island and the headliner was an african-american comic from brooklyn and the way he was talking to this all-white crowd the opener came up to me and whispered in my ear he goes he the headliner pre- performs with such confidence. He goes, if I say that same thing that he just said, 
you guys are calling the cops. <laughs> it's exactly what you just said, James. It's it's all about the perspective and the way you sell it, the mm-hmm. way you say it, mm-hmm. and, and who you are versus who they are. And then you take that whole scenario, flip it around, and interchange the characters. It's completely different. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, fascinating. Um, so you have a story? You have a Gilbert Godfrey yeah, story? Yeah. So, so, so um, last year – it was my second time meeting Gilbert because the first time I met him at the on, on set a couple times actually at, at the Artie Lang show. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in order to get, uh, I, I won't say where it was, but in order to um, to hire him and, and uh, for for the gig, it was in the Poconos. I had to pick him up in his summer home. Now, I thought I was picking him up at a gig that he did the night before, so I thought I was picking him up at some resort. But I showed up, and it was actually his wife and two kids, and. So I knocked on the door. He's he's ready to go with his suitcase. And uh, now, I, in order to get there, I had to drive three and a half hours. And then we had to drive three hours after that. And it was a hot summer day. It was the the week before, week of Fourth of July. Okay, it's like July second. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I get there, and, and his wife was like, "Oh my god!" She she recognized me once I got there. I was like, I had a reminder where you know where we met. She completely remembered me. She was wearing a late night with Seth Meyers T-shirt. You know, very casual, just hanging out at her home. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we're about to leave and now we're only going for two nights. And actually the opener for the second night was going to drive Gilbert back to Manhattan after the gig. So really he's only staying over one night and he bet he's got a little bag for his merchandise and a big bag for his, uh, for his stuff. One night, one night, two days, one night. He goes to his wife and he goes, Hey, wait, that's my shirt. And she goes, Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did you need it? He goes, yeah, well, what am I going to wear? Meanwhile, he's already clothed. <laughs> like, like what, what, what are we talking? Like, like his performance clothes, and a, a clothes to sleep in, and then and then something to wear the next day. But it's a huge suitcase. It's probably three feet high. Huge. <laughs> so his wife literally, just like any other normal human being, being a comedian or not, they, they think you're joking. He's not joking. She had to go change, come back, and he put it in his suitcase. He gets in the car. Now, again, I, I just lost 30 pounds, but over the summer, I was, I was, I was a little bit bigger than I am now, mm-hmm. went, you know, weighing it. And so, and, and now, meanwhile, I already drove three and a half hours. I had to drive another three hours. So I have the air, AC going, a little bit of music, and he goes, ah, oh, can you please turn the AC off? I turn the AC off. I am roasting. This guy <laughs> falls asleep. So now I'm, I'm hour five into this trip. Gilbert's the worst road dog I've ever been with. Falling, falling asleep. And, and, and I'm literally like drifting off at the wheel. Yeah. Now I will tell you, this was my first reaction. Because it's hard of, when you're hot. When it's hot out, it's actually easier to be sleepy. Because it's like, you know, you're just like getting that drowsiness that comes with it being so so hot and muggy, right? I mean, yeah, like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you got the night before. It's right. all about... Oh, I'm just uh, hot. So, so this is the first time I've, and you talk about timing and everything else that you just mentioned. This was a, I, I, you know, he's not an A-list celebrity per se, but he's still, it's like that guy and you hear his voice, but yeah. his voice is completely him and Andrew Dice Clay. I've always said this when we were at the Artie Lang show, they're the two people that I've met in my entire life that are completely opposite on stage and off stage. <laughs> you wouldn't even know they're in the room. Yeah. So, but we walk into this gas station cause he had to go to the bathroom and the lady behind the counter, like she looks like a Saturday Night Live skit. 
she goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And she just goes, it's you. Because <laughs> he's that guy, right? Like, yes. he's that guy. Like, yes. you don't know who he is. Right. Like, you, you, you were like, ah. And, and, and she goes to the bathroom and she goes, tell me his name. Tell me his name. And I'm like, nope. Like, like uh, I want to make this as awkward as humanly possible. Amazing. Like, I want. Good for you. I'm not going to help her. Yep. So, so, so he, she just goes, you're from that TV show, right? And he just goes, yep. And he just he finishes her sentence that she didn't have. He goes, "That'll be all," and he just walked away. Amazing. Yeah. So she never. How how great is that? That'll be all. Like almost sort of like dismissive and right in your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I, you know what? And at the end of the day, I almost thought I'm like, I can't blame him because I can't imagine how many times that's happened. It's like he's that famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Like, like he, he's got a, a place in Manhattan. He's got a family, um, uh, you know, secondary home or vacation home. And who, who knows how much money he's made over the course no, of his life. No, it's true, though. You know what? It's an interesting point because it's almost like sort of like being a um, uh, almost like being a character actor or something like right. that. In the sense that right. you don't have the same human experience as everybody else does, but you're still not also like lauded or like necessarily like absolutely celebrated where you go. Like it makes me think of um, even the story that broke a year or so ago where this guy near a Trader Joe's uh, at a Trader Joe's near me, the guy who played Elliot in the Cosby show was okay. working and right. somebody took a picture of him and was like, wow, hard times, I guess. Like he's like, you know, working as da 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 da. And he was like, well, you know, I live nearby. It was a good job. But he had to leave the job, basically, because, like, he became almost like a distraction, I guess, for the entire yeah, situation. Also, that, was, that was 30 years ago. Like, people don't realize that, like, TV money, it's like it, it runs out just like anything else. Sure, sure. Especially in that situation. I mean, it's not like it's somebody who had an extended run that I know of in terms of work like that. But maybe it's even weirder for a guy like Gilbert Gottfried, who you know, uh, has kind of reached that level of success, but not quite the notoriety that usually comes with it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think what, what, I know he was the Affleck commercial of uh, Affleck uh, uh, commercials. He did all that sure. the voice of um, the duck. And then also I think he was was it Jafar or something from Aladdin. Like yeah, people yeah like, I think that's right. I think it was Jafar. Yeah, he but he's known for like things like that, like you right. said, for his voice. It's the voice. You're right. It's the voice. And 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 when other than maybe like seventy, eighty years ago when radio was first bursting on the scene, was the voice the uh the the power behind what we're talking about here. I mean, obviously, um you have to have built a personality behind it in the in the years since then to kind of carry it on the radio, and that's happened. You know, we know that there's radio personality, but he wasn't really a radio guy. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. So it's like, it's that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, that's a good story. So what happened? What, what, where, where did it go from there? The, the gig happened, I guess. The, the opener took him back to Manhattan. Yeah. 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 The opener took him back to Manhattan. I mean, we had, uh, we, we, had, oh, uh, I, I will tell you this. This is, uh, probably shouldn't be saying this on the air, but, uh, uh, he, he signed st- uh, merchandise after he signed pictures of himself after the show. And he goes, uh, we're driving to the gig and he goes, uh, Hey, if you get a chance, um, I don't know if the, if the resort has any silver or gold Sharpies that, that, that are necessary for the color against my pictures if people want an autograph. I'm like, all right, no problem. And he, right before I bring him up on stage, he goes, make sure um, you get those Sharpies for me and set up my pictures. <laughs> I, I wasn't able to get those two colors, but I open up the box and there's literally, James, 
24 to 30 markers. <laughs> well, he's no, he's notorious for that. He's notorious for that. And look, I can even say that um, I definitely I can't remember now. And it's going to sound like I'm just piling on here. But I, I swear to you that this happened. I was at Artie's apartment one time for a podcast and yeah. he, he did something like he, he pocketed a K cup. Or maybe like a little snack pack or something like he pocketed it. And it was just like, really, that guy like, you know, like that's <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 like chips. So boy, something that already wouldn't have noticed was gone, but we still all saw it. Yeah. Like, I th- honestly think it was a K cup because it was just sort of like one of those things where it's like, why do you need a K cup? Like, you know, you're, you're, you'll be fine. Like, you know, like, um, anyway, it is what what, it is. What's, what's, what's the one person that over the years that you've interviewed or you've come across that struck you as uh, a person that you were like, oh, I really didn't expect them to be like that. Good or it, bad. You know what? I'll say this. It, it goes back to the earliest days of my kind of getting into broadcasting. So okay. I don't know how well you know, um, like, New York. Well, I mean, you're from Staten Island, so you know. Like, have you ever heard uh, of Adam Shine, the the sports guy who, who does no, like, He was on The no. Fan and he's on Sirius XM now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. And yes, SNY. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yep, Fox Sports. Yep. So he is so opposite of what you were saying as far as, um, you know, Gilbert Gottfried and, and Andrew Dice Clay. Adam Shine is exactly the same person off the air as he is on the air. So, like, when That's he's really in the hallways, cool. he's like, there he is, that guy, da-da-da-da, you know, like, and he's like that on air, too. So I found it very interesting and fascinating just getting into the business. I was like, wow, not everybody is just kind of, putting on a show when they do their thing some people are really like that and it's well, not to take anything away from what it is that he does and how he acts i think he's being true to himself but it's just like wow i really didn't expect him to be quite that on and the other thing is i'll say this right when he's doing his show and walking in and around the the business uh area and walking the hallways he's still got to be in that mindset so he's probably just ha- he probably just has it turned on for the entire day but it's not like he, he, he doesn't dial it down when he gets off mic Right, 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 right. It's so funny. Um, the one person when I was uh, the handler for uh, Boschetti down in New Orleans um, on set for, for the Super Bowl week, the one person that was the complete opposite, Joe Buck. Hmm. Joe Buck met me and, and, and you know, of course, I, I knew who he was right away, shook hands with him. And I get this all the time, just have lived in New York all those years. When I say that my name is Joel, many people will just say Joe or they'll say it differently. Mm-hmm. When I met him, because he's such a professional broadcaster, he stopped, looked me dead in the eyes and goes, did you say Joel or Joe? And I was like, who gives a crap? Right. He, the, Joe Buck is probably never going to see me again. Yeah. But for him to say that was such a pro, like it made me feel, I'm like, wow. I'm like, for any, any one of my friends who ever called you a dick, I'm going to tell them Joe Buck is a nice man. Yeah. Well, no, he's somebody who has um, an interesting story in a way, because first of all, he's one of the most accomplished play by play by pay. I can't talk in his own play by play guys of our generation. But it's also fascinating how he had to try to separate himself from his dad's legacy. And um, at the same time, I don't know exactly what this is, but like, isn't he, uh, I think his dad either got divorced and had like two different uh, wives and that Joel, uh, J- uh, Joel, 
uh, Joe Buck Jack. may, not, may yeah. not be related to Jack Buck's other kids or something like that. I don't exactly know what it is, but there's some weird thing with that. Um, and then also there was the whole thing with Hardy, you know what I mean, where he had this huge opportunity to have a show and the thing just wasn't going well and they made it live for whatever fucking reason. I have no idea why. And um, it kind of spectacularly crashed and burned, uh, no pun intended, given Artie's later <laughs> book titles. But, um, you know, the whole thing's just crazy, the, the, the career that he's followed. But the whole um, attitude or sense you may have gotten from him when he was on that HBO show or maybe just kind of like the air that a so-called dignified professional play-by-play guy gives off it doesn't jive with a lot of what you hear about from him behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting that you point that out too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and have have you seen that, that infamous clip uh, from his HBO show when Artie was on it? I mean, Artie was clearly well into the bag. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. I don't think, I don't think there's anybody that really sort of like didn't sympathize with Joe Buck. It's just that the story came on, it became it took on a life of its own almost. You know what I mean? And in some ways, when there's that big of a thing that happens to somebody, I think it's hard for them to almost separate from whatever it was that actually happened there. So right. um it's just interesting. It's a it's a fascinating story in American broadcasting. Joe Buck, that's for absolute sure. Yeah. It's uh, I love him, man. It was it was uh something I'll I'll, I'll never forget to the day. Yeah, I that's cool. That's cool. Well, look, man, this has been really great. Um, I'm really glad that we had a chance to, to talk and, you know, that you're uh, obviously going to try and, you know, power through here until the club can open back up. I mean, I guess it's as, uh, it's like everybody else. We're sort of waiting to see uh, when the world gets put, you know, back on play. You know what's funny is I uh, for, for a second there, I totally forgot that we were social distancing and, and that we were still on the, that, the air. It felt like it felt so natural and you and I just catching up that uh, I forgot that uh, it wasn't just a phone call. Yeah. Well, you know what, man? It's good because we live in an age here where maybe this kind of thing, you know, I've I've talked about it um, with friends where I said, look, maybe in the future we'll have a two week period in January where as a society we say, you know what, just to try to stop influenza and virus and all this kind of stuff. We're going to have two weeks where we try to self quarantine and work from home and, you know, we'll close up businesses for two weeks, but you know, it's an, it's a known thing ahead of time. You can plan around it, all that kind of stuff. And maybe that'll come from what it's happening here. And, and hopefully we'll do different things to try to protect against, you know, pandemic and firewalls at airports or whatever it may be uh, from a disease perspective, but um, more funding for, you know, from the military for, for pandemic research. I don't know. I really don't know anything about it, but, um, yeah, you're right, man. Because you know what? We live in an age now where we have this kind of digital stuff and we can talk to people and that's pretty great. It's not just the, the cell phone. Um, it's the ability to kind of, and you know, doing stuff like this, um, podcasting and talking about it is us kind of getting our, you know, ability to, to talk it out and flush it out and, and um, share thoughts about something that everybody's talking about. When I was out in San Francisco recently, um, of course, it was while all this was kind of happening, which was crazy, too, because I knew I had to get on a plane. And even though they say that's not anywhere, you know, it's not that much more risky than whatever, it it still is risky. Um, So, you know, you're thinking about that. And all you ever heard from people everywhere you went was corona, 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 corona. 
And, um, you know, that's just, that's life right now. Uh, It's crazy. It's unlike anything I've ever seen, and a lot of people say the same thing, but um, not much we can do about it for the time being, I guess. Buddy, it was uh, it was great to talk to you a little bit about uh, about not Corona too. It exactly, was fun. exactly. Thanks and for I, having me, brother. Yeah, yeah. Give us so just say it one last time, just in case somebody's skipping around the podcast or whatever. Give us the plug. Uh, tell us about the the special one last time, and, and mention your club too, because you know after all this is done, after the virus, um, yeah. we can uh, you know go check out your comedy club, which is where's that exactly, and then tell us about the special too. Yeah, yeah. Go, go to my go to my website. It's uh, souljoels s o u l j o e l s dot com, and uh, the links there are there to the social media. If you go on my social media page on my Facebook page for Soul Joel's, uh the specials right there on uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram. All the links are there. So um, just to be you know, clear, it's Soul Joel's with an S at the end of yep. it, right? Soul. Yeah, yeah. I, but I. Yep, exactly. And I I I, uh, I own souljoel.com too. So it's uh, but that's 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 my production page. That's that's the mothership. Um, so, uh, but yeah, but I, but I have both, um, but yeah, soldier rolls with an, uh, S at the end.com and, uh, you can buy the special Richie burn burned out. It's on Vimeo, uh, nine 99 to buy it for, uh, three 99, $4 basically to, uh, to rent it. And I uh, appreciate your support either buy a, a t-shirt for soldiers or buy the special. We really appreciate it. Cool, man. All right. Yeah. Everybody go check that out. Check out the, the special, check out the swag and, uh, we will talk to Joel at a later date, but Joel, good stuff, man. Take care of yourself, all right? Can, and keep it up with the running. That's obviously Thanks, good stuff. You, you know, everybody who can yep. get out there and exercise, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Keep that immune system strong. So, uh, all right. <laughs> Make it happen. All right. Talk to you soon. Later, brother. The most American podcast ever created. Oh, here's your blessing. Oh, baby. story for you uh, for the gig it was in the Poconos I had to pick him up in his summer home and he goes uh, can you please turn the AC off I turn the AC off I am roasting I'm hour five into this trip Gilbert's the worst road dog I've ever been with falling asleep and I'm literally like drifting off at the wheel but we walk into this gas station because he had to go to the bathroom and the lady behind the counter she goes oh my god it's you because <laughs> he's that guy right he goes to the bathroom and she goes tell me his name no I want to make this as awkward as humanly possible. Amazing. Like I want. Good for you. I'm not gonna help her. So she just goes, "You're from that TV show, right?" And he just goes, "Yep." He finishes her sentence that she didn't have. He goes, "That'll be all," and he just walked away. This has been a flipping out radio production. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at RadioMisfits.com. Yeah, I can hear you. 10, 9, 8, 7, that 6, that 5, that 4, 3, 2, and that 1. Okay. And then what time is your birthday party tonight? I'm looking forward to the social distancing birthday party. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What? What is it exactly? It is a Skype or a Zoom of... uh, bunch of friends from college and we're gonna celebrate uh my birthday and my friend's birthday 
Um, but is this safe in the era of Corona? <laughs> yes, it's very safe. How? How can you be sure it's safe? Because none of us are in the same room, and um, you know we're just all online. So you'd say you're practicing social distancing? Yeah, it's a social distance uh, birthday party. All right, social distance birthday party. This is life after the virus. Yep, I guess so. All right, well, I appreciate you taking part in this audio test. Okay, bye. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, you can hear me. Um, I believe I can hear you. I just don't know for absolute sure. Okay, and then just um, how are you feeling about the coronavirus these days? You're doing this just to get audio. No, I, that's not true. Yes, you are. You're trying to play me. That's bullshit. What? That's bullshit. It's true. All right, well, thank you for taking part in this test. All right, bye. Maybe be part of uh, the burgeoning uh, career of James Flippin'. 